I'm Cesar Rubio, five-time past master of Palm Springs Laws number 693, and this is Masonic Muscle, where we focus on the strongest aspect of Freemasonry, a virtuous education of the mind, fortifying it with wise and serious truths, encouraging all brethren to increase their level of fitness one degree at a time, making exercise and study a cornerstone of your daily routine, because Freemasonry is work. When you put in the work, get closer and closer to the point within the circle. Masonic Muscle, we give you more light, but no light weights. We're here to pump you up, body, mind, and soul. Welcome back, everybody. Here we are once again. And uh, if you're a California Mason, you know you've already had your stated meeting. Election of officers were had, and I hope the Lodge actually had a plan of who to elect, not because the people there were the only ones there, but because they earned it through merit, just like our Constitution says. Now let's get into our... Motivational word of the day, uh, exercise. I'm going to read another article from Bill Henburn's world-famous super strength training. This one is called Mental Concentration. And for those of you Masons who have been trying to learn ritual or have been studying the history, symbols, or like I like to say, the mysterious origins of Freemasonry... This will be useful for, for, uh, to you and to all. Here it goes. While exercise, nutrition, recuperation, etc. are important to success in any type of physical training, there is yet another key element. Mental concentration. This is also referred to as putting mind over matter. The following are some concepts that help with concentrating with the task at hand. Number one, visualization. After choosing your target goal, close your eyes and picture yourself going through the motions step by step. Begin doing this moments, hours, days, or even weeks before performing the physical movements. Picture yourself where you want to be and what you want to achieve. Many champions have done this throughout history. The great Olympic pentathlon and decathlon champion and football legend Jim Thorpe would sit for hours and think about each movement over and over again. Arnold Schwarzenegger seven-time Mr. Olympia bodybuilding champion, would picture the muscle while exercising, getting stronger and stronger. Number two, positive attitude. Never, ever let yourself get caught up in negativity. A champion may not win all the time, but wins more times than anyone else. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. Charles R. Swindle. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Henry Ford. Number three, aggressiveness. Muster every ounce of energy that you can in every aspect of your training. Think of nothing else but the task before you. If you have had a particularly hectic day, take out all of your aggressions on that piece of equipment, which is what my friend and I like to do quite often, by the way. Number four, focus. 
After walking into your workout area, close the door behind you and shut out the rest of the world. Eliminate all the distractions, people, music, cell phones, etc. Spend your limited time focusing on the task before you. Number five, regroup. Let nothing come between you and what you set out to do. If the weights feel unusually heavy, remove some of the weight. Remember, there are days when the weight will seem light. If you can't do that last repetition, don't fret. You'll get it next time. Remember, there are days when you can do an extra repetition. Number six, avoid complacency. Never get comfortable where you are at in your training. Always move forward. Once you achieve a goal, immediately select another one. Sitting on your laurels will halt your progress, and progress is why you are training. And isn't Freemasonry a progressive science, brethren? Number seven, know the difference between pain and fatigue. Your time spent training should never be to weaken or injure you. It should be to strengthen you and keep you healthy. If you experience a slight soreness the next day, that is a good thing. It means your body will react by increasing muscle in that particular area. If you experience sharp pain, especially the kind that lingers for days, you are definitely overdoing it. Number eight, have confidence in yourself and your workout program. Have faith in yourself. Keep saying to yourself, I can and I will do this. Never think for a moment that you are not using the right training routine and or nutrition regimen. If you fall into this thinking, soon you will be jumping from routine to routine and changing your diet constantly. Number nine, conceive, believe, then achieve. It is vitally important to come up with a plan, honestly believe in it will work, and set out to achieve it by selecting the right training methods, nutritional regimen, recuperation, etc. In conclusion, never let anything come between you and what you set out to do. There you go, brethren. And for those of you brothers who have been working to become part of the leadership of your lodge and you just got nominated and elected possibly to the leadership of the lodge and then possibly the master elect has already talked to you, sat down to you, to you brethren that are going to be appointed. But you also have ritualistic duties. You also have things to memorize. Remember, everything that we do within the f first, second, third degrees is to be memorized, is to be from memory. That is part of our ritualistic duty. So you have to incorporate some of what we have heard today, or if not all of it, right? We have to visualize. You have to visualize yourself uh, standing in front of the brethren and giving your part, your role. Letter perfect, hopefully. Number two, you have to have a positive attitude. That is without a doubt what we're trying to build within ourselves, a positive attitude by having successes over and over and over again. And if you fail, you fail and you fail fast. You lose the fear of failure and, failure and you, know, you become positive about it. Number three, aggressiveness. Yes, you attack your individual duties aggressively. Of course, of course you do. Number four, focus. Yes, part of what this is supposed to teach us is to be able to concentrate and focus 
for long periods of time because this also begins to trickle over into everything that we do in life. Number five is regroup. Yep, we have to regroup when we're at large, when we fumbled a little bit, regroup quickly and continue to move forward. Number six, avoid complacency. Brethren, for those of you that are out there and you haven't been progressing, chances are very high that you have been complacent. You are not putting in the necessary time and you're thinking that it'll just come when it comes. No, brethren. By doing that, you are weakening your lodge and you are letting the team down. Number seven, know the difference between pain and fatigue. Uh, how does this apply to Freemasonry? Because we're not actually doing physical work, but we're doing mental and spiritual work. So know the difference as well. Number eight, have confidence in yourself and your workout program. Have confidence in yourself and the program that you are implementing to help you memorize, not only memorize, but learn the floor work. Have confidence in it. You're seeing other brothers do it. Pick out the ones that are the most proficient and follow their example. Emulate them. Number nine, conceive, believe, then achieve. Of course, that goes without saying. It falls right in line. Some California Masonic news. Well, like I just mentioned, this being November, this was election of officers all throughout the state of California. Hopefully, it is my sincere wish, my sincere desire that the majority of the lodges have been working hard, that, that you have the members that have the desire and the will and the commitment necessary in order to get the job done through thick and thin, make it through, have great communication skills, have great leadership skills, have great organizational skills, time management skills. That's what it takes. That's what it takes over and over and over again. And like I just mentioned in my previous podcast, the legislation came down. Uh, brethren voted the way their consciences led them to and the members wanted them to. And this is part of our democratic process within the Masonic structure. Even the Republican type, you know, we sent our representatives up to Grand Lodge. They represented us. They voted the way we wanted to vote. There's your democratic processes. And then they took the news back home. So how about that? Today I wanted to talk about a few things. One of them being the book that I mentioned in my previous podcast, and that's the book by Brother John S. Nagy, The Craft Unmasked, The Uncommon Origin of Freemasonry and Its Practice. There's a lot of meat in the book. And like I mentioned to him during the interview, I wasn't kidding, I have my book all marked up. There's all kinds of notes because... A lot of this stuff was familiar to me, especially uh, taking us from some of the origins that we know of that are written down about the creation of Grand Lodge and what they were thinking and this and that. And I'm going to share some of that with you right now. And this is on page 44, and it's under the section called Conversion. 
And it says this, The premise of conversion goes like this. Faced with the crisis of lower demand for both product and skilled laborers, the loss of lodge members, and the need to preserve what was found, namely the trade itself, four lodges came together and formed a grand lodge to standardize ritual practices and to allow non-operative members to join with the clear intent of having them become the preservationists of the stoneworkers' traditions and rituals. Then he says this, the new members were eventually called speculative masons to highlight the fact that they were not stone workers in the material sense. They were to metaphorically work upon spiritual temples, houses not made with hand, and they have supposedly done so ever since. The conversion from operative to speculative occurred within most every lodge associated with the premier grand lodge and has been this way ever since. On first inspection, the provided conversion premise sounds like an awesome idea. Just convert over what the stonemasons did to what speculative masons can do. It should be simple enough. Yet a problem arises very quickly upon inspection. First of all, stonemasons built things. Secondly, they served apprenticeships that required specific skill development that enabled them to become skilled tradesmen. Thirdly, they joined the Stonemason Society so that they may join lodges when work and payments were available for the trade that they offered in return. Speculative Masons do not build things. They join the society when they join a lodge. They pay for the right to be a part of that lodge, and they do not ply any trade in exchange for fee. Although there is a widely circulated quote by Brother Benjamin Franklin as to the wages a brother can expect, it is not for building anything other than relationships, if that. Unaltered, Freemasonic instruction inculcates that the ritual that men experience remains unaltered since time immemorial. This is one of the main reasons offered for all the archaic words, phrases, and manners used within it. Another reason offered is highlighted in one of the Freemasonic landmarks that some USA jurisdictions recognize in their constitutions. The landmark states that the landmarks of masonry can never be changed. These constitute the landmarks, or as they have sometimes been called, the body of masonry, in which it is not in the power of man or a body of men to make the least innovation. Between the two, we are left to believe that Freemasonry's ritual haven't been altered and there is a proscription stating that it shall not be altered, especially if you accept that to alter anything is to innovate it. Upon further inspection, we find that things are not quite that way. This is true, and you quickly come upon this as you study the history of Freemasonry and study the origins of our ritual and how they've been developed over time. Rituals around the globe and within the USA, from one jurisdiction to the next, are clearly not the same. They are altered and in some instances hardly recognizable in the case of non-Preston web-based ritual. California is Preston web-based, by the way. When pressed further, we come to find that when new Grand Lodges were formed, they borrowed bits and pieces from a variety of rituals, adding, adjusting, and modifying them to make them unique unto the jurisdiction. So that is very clear what is being said here, and there is no questions as to the intent. These actions are clearly innovations to ritual and are contrary to the very words 
communicated to candidates progressing through the degrees and to those members expected to adhere to these words without wavering. The premise of landmarks or rituals being unaltered is false. Wow. Brother John Nagy. Easy, relax. But it's true. What he's saying is true. And then the last one, preservation. Members are continuously enrolled into preservation activities. In many USA jurisdictions, the central preservation task they are encouraged to do is preserve the ritual. They do this by memorizing what they experienced during their degree. This is called proficiencies. This has been my experience. This is true. And from what I've gathered from many talks from visiting brethren after the degree or before the, uh, the degree or stated meetings, when it comes to this, this is exactly what I found out. Typical proficiencies that are still fully practiced are a series of inquiries and responses that are exchanged between a catechist and the catechumen. Yes, it is. This is true. And then at the very bottom, he asks, what are the true reasons for this activity? Why is so much time spent upon it in some jurisdictions and not in others? Okay. That's just a taste of what's in that book. What's in his book. The book is 170 pages. Yeah, 169, you know, with an index and some definitions. I can't argue with, I have no argument with those two sections that I read for you right now. It is true. This is what I've come upon, and this is what we've been working on at Palm Springs Lodge to begin to break that mold. Is it an innovation? It could be. It could be. Uh, within the Grand Lodge jurisdiction of California, there has been a huge push since about... 2005 to begin to break away from that mold but what we're finding out is that human habits are hard to break and they can push all they want and they can recommend all they want but it's still up to each and every single individual lodge and the components of that lodge you know the members that make it up to begin to look for a way to really really enliven and energize and to generate something completely different but that is still Freemasonry. I would like to read this last section for you today and it was called, it's called Participation. It's from the same book. And he says this, There is a continuous hum and oftentimes a whine that is heard in almost all jurisdictions within the USA. That noise is generated by the members of those lodges and is acutely focused upon having members attend their functions. This noisy chatter is not isolated to the lodge within USA jurisdictions. It can be heard also around the globe and is generated by the multitude of lodges who will suffer from what is presumed to be a lack of membership attendance. Yep. Although it is true that membership attendance is lacking in far too many lodges, yes sir, it is assumed that bringing membership members back shall clear up this annoying and irritating condition. This assumption, though, is clearly wrong. 
Lack of attendance is a symptomatic trouble caused by much bigger problems. Yes, something that I have addressed many times throughout these episodes, sprinkled here and there. As long as anyone lodge focuses its efforts upon working upon solving a symptomatic trouble, it shall continuously face the trouble because the problem is never addressed. Yes, it's deeper rooted. First off, the premise of lodge attendance is flawed misleading and unsupported. The very nature of ritual's goal is to create traveling men who are self-sufficient, self-reliant, and self-regulated. You cannot expect to bring such men into being and then have them remain due to some misguided belief that they are not good brothers unless they attend lodge functions. Guilt trips don't work on mature men wanting more from their life investment. Secondly, To be convincing, you must properly assess the reasons men have for joining the society and clearly determine that these reasons were to attend lodge functions that supported those reasons. Unless you do, you can't reasonably expect members to attend lodge activities if the reasons they joined don't support attendance. You got to be congruent. You got to be consistent across the board, brethren. This is something we've been working on at Palm Springs Lodge and we're, we're getting there. We're, we're, We're developing this tight-knit experience from beginning to end. Thirdly, if you don't provide to members membership activities that are in line with the excitement and drama that interested them in the beginning, you're likely to lose them fairly quickly after they realize there's nothing more for them. Boom. Yes, and this is something that if you look for enough articles, if you surf the web long enough, or if you get enough Masonic books that talk about how to increase lodge attendance and this and that, you will eventually run into that right there. And that is stated pretty concisely. Brother John S. Nagy has put a lot of time and effort into that, and it's congruent with my observations over the past 21 years. Every lodge faces this this challenge, and every lodge must come to their own method of figuring out how to not only improve the member experience, the prospect experience, but then make it consistent throughout the whole journey so that they do have a reason to come to lodge. Tuesday night is Lodge Night at Palm Springs Lodge, and there has to be a strong enough reason to show up. We offer something to the community. It's in congruence with what we believe is at the very core of Freemasonry since time immemorial, as he just said right now, going back to 1390 Regis Manuscript, 1610, the Wood Manuscript, the Seven Liberal Arts and Sciences, the Trivium, Quadrivium. Yes, if those things, I believe... If they are not addressed and made a part of the core of the curriculum of that lodge, then you're just going to keep spinning your wheels. And so lodges keep revisiting this and they keep trying the old ways of attracting members or of calling older members back trying to get them excited, trying to get them to sit in a chair, trying to sit and get them to take on leadership roles, 
when in the back of their minds they're continuing to ask, why am I here? Because there hasn't been a clear-cut answer given to them. And that takes time and effort on the part of several members of the leadership like we've done at Palm Springs Lodge to get to that point to where we can answer consistently that our answers are congruent and that all of our functions are in alignment with that core reason. Once again, brethren, I encourage all of you to continue. Please, after this pandemic, too many of us sat down. We're just, we're just lazy, stuffing our faces. We gained unnecessary weight, and now it's time to get back in shape. Hit those weights. Hit that body temple. Hit your two pillars. Make them stronger so that the body, mind, and soul work together so that you can become a, a better person, right? Freemasonry takes a good man and makes him better. Well, how? How is that possible? Well, I believe that's one of the ways. Get your ass out there, just like Jack Lane did, one, you know, the godfather of fitness, got out there, started exercising, started eating better. He started to feel better. He started to get excited. Other people started to get excited. They saw his results. He wanted to share that with the world. That was his charitable contribution to the world. Next thing you know, he's on TV. And little did you know that he was a Mason as well, right? And here we are talking about this. So once again, brethren, to those of you who were nominated and elected to one of the five elected offices of your lodge, congratulations. There's a lot of work to be done. For those of you who are, who are not the you know, the secretary and the treasurer, there isn't a lot of memory work involved. There's a lot of memory work involved for the master, senior warden, junior warden. And you are in charge of being able to teach that ritual, not only the memory work, but the ritualistic floor work that's involved, and convey that and hand it over intact to the next generation. This is one of the reasons why it's so important that you get it right. Get it right. Work hard. The only way that's going to happen is that you work hard. Whether you go into your garage or you take long walks by yourself to recite this thing out loud where nobody can hear you, but to, to ensure, ensure the quality of this ritual, of this experience is top notch. Okay, brethren? So with that, until next time, till we meet again. These strong sessions are calculated to inculcate in the mind of the novitiate the importance of subduing our passions and improving ourselves in masonry, feeding the attentive ear with the sound of the instructive tongue, endeavoring to add to the common stock of knowledge and understanding, effectively spreading the cement of knowledge and wisdom and hopefully some good will towards exercising get out there and get your walking in open up your ciphers study memorize and just do it